I want to talk a little bit tonight about a subject that, uh, that uh, I have never addressed before in a setting like this, in a service, and uh, I thought I'd give it a shot. Um, Psalm 91 verse 11 is really a, a reference, a messianic reference, and it reads like this, For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. By the way, I'm going to stay real close to my manuscript here. And um, when I, I'll make reference to some passages of Scripture, some I'll read from the Bible and give you time to look up. Others I will just read from a, have them, have them printed here, and you can just look them up later and make the notation of the reference. But if you need a worksheet, uh, my crack, no more, no more bulletins, okay? Forget it. <laughs> I think there's probably a lot that won't be used. I like uh, Psalm 34. I'd like for you to turn to Psalm 34 as well. In verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. How much do you know about angels? Have you ever been touched by an angel? that you were aware of. We sing here um, and call it our theme song, um, Surely the Presence of the Lord is in this place, and we sing, I hear the brush of angels' wings. I wonder if we really you know, mean that or are we just say, saying that, you know, singing those words. How much do you know about angels? I don't think I'm getting enough here. Um, Jesus was acquainted with angels. An angel came to Mary and told her that this baby would be conceived in her by the Holy Spirit, would be none other than the Son of God. And an angel came to Joseph to um, calm his fears and anxieties that this was a part of the plan of God. An angel announced his birth and angels protected Mary and Joseph as they led Jesus' baby into Egyptian security and safety. And the Bible says that angels watched him in his ministry and in life. And the author of the book of Hebrews said that, and they worshiped him. And thousands of angels stood guard around him and were ready to rescue him from the abuse of Calvary and of man. And an angel sat on a tomb and announced, He is not here, but is risen. And Peter said that when he went back and ascended to the right hand of God, that angels ministered to him. And the scripture says that when he comes in great glory, he will be accompanied by angels. And angels will attend him thousands of thousands, it says, angels will attend him at the bar of judgment. How much do you know about angels? The, um, I suppose that most Christian literature is literally replete with examples of angelic stories. Now I thought I'd just mention two or three of them tonight from the book by Hope MacDonald, When Angels Appear. 
She tells a story of a woman one day who was looking out her back, uh, her kitchen window out to the back, early spring day, and her little child was playing in the yard. And she noticed after a while that the back gate was open and the child had disappeared and she knew it wasn't far to the railroad track and she was terrified. She went racing out the house and looked down the track to see her daughter sitting on the trellis, little child, playing. And she saw this train coming, speeding down the track. And as she was racing to her daughter, calling her name to try to save her, she saw a man appear in brilliant white and he rescued her daughter from the train and stood there with the daughter as the train went by and when she arrived to the side of her daughter she was alone. From the book, same book by Hope MacDonald she tells about this surgeon, this physician who came in one Saturday afternoon. He, was, he, he thought, I'll put on my old grubbies and sit down and watch the Buckeyes play the Michigan Wolverines. And while he was sitting there about the third quarter the telephone rang and he was needed at an, for an emergency at the hospital. He quickly dressed, got his bag, got in the car and started to drive back out of the driveway. He was conscious of a presence standing beside the door of his automobile, couldn't see him, but was conscious of this presence and heard this voice saying, don't back out, get out and look. And he got out of the car and went around to the back and there sat the neighbor's child, two-year-old child, at the back of the car. If he had backed out, he would have crushed him. From the book by Billy Graham, Angels, God's Secret Ancients, he tells about a celebrated uh, neurosurgeon in Philadelphia. One night he came in, he was tired, and he went to bed, and in the middle of the night he heard a knock at the door. He went to the door and saw a little child there, a little girl. She was crying in deep distress. She said, could you come and help, help me? My mother is gravely ill and, 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 I, and I need help. And so he followed her into the night. It was, a, it was snowing and a blizzard was, was going on outside. And he followed her a few blocks away to her house. And inside he found this mother who was severely ill. She had pneumonia. And so after he attended to her and made preparation for her to be taken to the hospital, he was just visiting with her and told her how proud she must be of her little girl. And the woman said, my daughter died two months ago. Well, he said, a little girl showed up at my door tonight dressed in a, in a coat and hat. She said, her coat's hanging in the closet over there. He went over and looked in the closet, and there was the very same coat hanging there, dry and warm, that this little girl was wearing stood in the front of his house. Who can forget the story of Eddie Rickenbacker who in 1942's plane ditched in the Pacific and he and six of his crewmen were set adrift in the Pacific in this raft. And they were starving, of course, barely. And they had used up all of their provisions and their rations. And one day after an evening prayer, Eddie Rickenbacker pulled his hat down over his eyes and sought to get some rest. All of a sudden, now he's out in the middle of the Pacific, several miles from shore, from the, from the, from the coast, and all of a sudden he felt something on the top of his head. He knew immediately what it was. It was a gull. Slowly he reached his hand up and caught the gull. 
They ate the food divided equally among them, even ate the bones of the gull, and used the intestines of the gull for bait to catch fish and survived. And Eddie Rickenbacker says to his death, he knows that the only explanation for what happened that day was that God sent an angel to save him. Each quarter, the Southern Baptist Convention sends out this kind of article. It's called Premier, it's called uh, Southern Baptist Convention Life. This is the premier issue. It happened to be on angels. It was uh, sent out in summer, it says summer of 93. In this, there are several stories. I want to just mention a couple of them, maybe even read part of them. One of them is a story by, the, by a woman named Gloria Lee. Now, Gloria and Jerry Lee are members of New Hope Baptist Church in Hermitage, Tennessee. This is what she said. She said she was in a Bible study one night with a group of people. Her husband was a trucker, and he was on the road. And during a break in their Bible study, she went to call and check to see if their children were okay. And when she, when she talked to her daughter, her older daughter, she said that her father, this woman's husband, had called and he had said that he was very, very tired, but he was going to try to drive on and make it late at night, make it in that night. When the Bible study was over, she had an overwhelming sense that her husband was in danger. And so she asked one of her friends to, to stay and pray with her about her husband. She sensed was in grave danger. And she said, as we begin to pray, I begin to weep. I knew that things were not, not right for him. She said, I remember my friend praying, Lord, just give your angels charge over him and protect him. And she said, I noticed that the time was 10 o'clock. She went home and her friend also had prayed that she would be able to go to sleep that night and rest. And she went sound asleep and was awakened at 3 a.m. by her husband who stood in the bedroom with a strange look on his face. He told me this story of his trip home. I'm going to read this. I was driving from Memphis to Nashville where the Tennessee River Bridge marks the beginning of a winding roadway through the Tennessee hills. I was so tired that I fell asleep at the wheel. I was awakened by the light, bright lights of a highway patrol car shining off the side mirror into my eyes. I pulled my rig over to the side of the interstate, got out to talk to the officer. What he had to say really shook me up. He said that he had been following my truck for about 20 minutes and he knew that I was asleep because he could see me in the cab with my head drooped over. He had repeatedly tried to awaken me by pulling up beside me, blowing his horn and flashing his light and spotlight. He said my truck was weaving back and forth across the highway, but each time I would come close to the white line on either side of the highway. I would gently pull away from the edge of the roadway. My question for him was, what time did this happen? His answer was about 10 p.m. One other story. It's a story by, the, by a couple named Dan and Kathy Whitney. Now, Dan is the pastor of the Glenfield Baptist Church in Glenfield, Illinois. And he writes discipleship material that Billy Graham uh, passes out to his supporters. He told about the time the night they got married. They married on January the 8th, 1977, and they left Arkansas 
to come to northeastern Oklahoma for their honeymoon. When they left the church, it was snowing. It was a, a blizzard had moved in, and, and they didn't know it, but it would be the greatest, it would be the worst blizzard in the history of, of weather uh, reporting in Arkansas. About the time they crossed the line into Oklahoma, he said it was so bad he couldn't see the road where he was driving. And snow had piled up so that they couldn't see, you know, the highway, except he held his head out the window just to see if he could, you know, uh, see the edge of the highway where the, 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 the weeds were barely sticking above the snow. And they decided that they would stop at the first farmhouse they came to. We, they were already back up. They were going to a little resort area somewhere in northeastern Oklahoma. And he said they came to a farmhouse after driving a long way and, it, and there was nobody there and they came to another and there was nobody there but they just kept driving and it seemed like they could never come to a, a highway and they knew that they were in danger. When all of a sudden they saw lights, tail, headlights in their mirror and, a, and an old truck passed them. And when this man passed them in this old truck, he just got on the same speed as they, as they were traveling in front of them and they decided they'd just follow in his tire tracks regardless of where he went. And he began to wind down these back roads in northeastern Oklahoma and they were just following him along. All they could see was this, the tail lights of this truck in front of them. And all of a sudden he said they came into this clearing and they saw this archway and over the archway was the name of the resort, the honeymoon resort to which they were heading. And the man pulled up in front of, this, of the house, the, uh, the office of this resort, and they pulled up behind him. Then he made a U-turn and disappeared into the night. And they asked, is it possible that that was an angel who guided us? Well, those are stories that you can believe or not believe. It's up to you. What do you know about angels? Have you ever been touched by an angel that you're aware of? I want to talk to you about angels in light of several, you come at it from several angles. First of all, if you're looking at your, at your, at your outline, I, I want to, uh, first thing I need to say is that angels are created beings. They have not always been. Colossians 1.16, if you want to jot that down, says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him, and angels are a part of that world of the invisible that God created. Angels are subject to God only, and they obey him. Now, they are spiritual beings who cannot normally be seen with the human eye, no more than you can see electricity that runs through wire or the structure of an atom. But angels are dignified, intelligent uh, beings that we need to take seriously. Majestic, intelligent, dignified beings and normally one cannot see angels with the human eye. Our eyes are not designed to see them. However, as we have discovered in these stories, they seem to have the ability to change their appearance, and they seem to have the ability 
to flash from heaven to earth and back again instantly. The Bible frequently makes it clear that angels are non-material. They do not possess physical bodies, although they do, they may take on physical bodies when God appoints them to special tasks. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament testify to the reality of angels. 300 times at least in both the Testaments, angels are referred to. Some scholars believe that there are as many, potentially as a million angels present in the creation. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 reads like this, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. Psalms 68, 17 reads, The chariots of God are myriads, millions, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them as at Sinai in holiness. And the Bible tells us that 10,000 angels came down at Sinai to confirm the holy presence of God when He gave the law. So that angels are non-material spiritual beings who represent God, created by Him and for Him. Second, angels differ from human beings in several ways. First of all, angels are not heirs of God. They are not heirs of God. The Bible says that every Christian is an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. It means that Christians, because we're Christians, through what is made possible for us in redemption, through the death of Jesus, that we are heirs of the boundless eternal riches of Jesus Christ, of God the Father. And if you want to find out what that involves, just read the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, that because of redemption and our faith in the accomplishment of Christ, we are heirs of the eternal riches of God. Now, angels are not heirs of those riches. Angels have never lost, never lost their original glory or spiritual relationship with the Lord, and so they've maintained their exalted position in the royal order of God's creation. But you and I fell, and as the result of our fall, God redeemed us through Christ and made us heirs with Him of all that God possesses. Second, angels cannot testify of the salvation of God through, by grace through faith. Now I want you to turn to something that I think is uh, pretty exciting. It's, it's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Look at that with me, please. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll begin reading at verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven 
things into which angels long to look. Now, when you pick up a New Testament, uh, uh, Greek New Testament, and a lexicon to know what it, what it says, there's an amazing um, emphasis here on, on the intensity of the angels. It says that they, they know there's something special and they bend down with intensity to behold it, but cannot experience it. What he's talking about is this joy and wonder that you and I experience when we're saved. Now we've come tonight to this fellowship uh, to worship God, and when the church gathers for worship and fellowship, what we celebrate is the joy of redemption, the, the joy of salvation. It's a celebration. There was a stranger in church this morning. And we, we visited briefly after the service back there, and, and uh, uh, it's what he said. I, I, I'm, I'm from Austin, Texas, and I, um, I've come, he, he was involved somewhere in, in the Promise Keepers deal. You know who it was? Uh, Scott, do you know that? And then he said, Preacher, I sensed the Spirit of God moving in your church today. Now, what I'm, what I'm saying is, is that when you come, when Christians come in fellowship, we come to celebrate the joy of what it means to be saved. Angels know nothing about that. They're spectators of that. And the scripture says that they bend down and observe it and long to experience it. Now, an angel, angels are aware when people are saved. Luke 15 says that they ring the bells of heaven when people are saved and they glorify the God who saves us. But they cannot testify of the experience themselves. Only the believer can testify of that. It's like a person who who has never been married and he observes the relationship that two people have and he knows they're, they're happy and they have something wonderful going on, but he's only a spectator of that. He, cannot, he, he has never experienced marriage himself. And so angels have never known what it means to know the joy and the love that abounds when God redeems one from his sin. Now that's a glorious thing that you and I experience. Number three. Angels have no experiential knowledge of the indwelling God. There is no reason to believe, in, in, no reason to, uh, to, to assume from Scripture that, that angels are indwelled by God. Now, what I'm trying to help us to see tonight is that as Christians we have a special relationship. We not only have the joy of being saved, but we have His indwelling presence. And a part of the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit who indwells us is to conform us and to shape us into His likeness, into the likeness of His Son. And that's the purpose of the work of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Number three, angels do not marry or procreate. In the 22nd chapter of Matthew, verse 30, these people are trying to, these Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus in some kind of a trick you know, trip him up, and they say, well, now here's a woman, here, here's, here's a guy who's had two or three wives, widows that, you know, people have died, and who's, who's going to be his wife in heaven, or something like that, you know. Who's, who's going who's to be his wife in heaven? And Jesus said that man neither marries 
No, it's given in marriage. For they in heaven will be as the angels. Now, what people who take that out of context say about that is that what Jesus is saying is that we're all going to be like angels in heaven. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that like angels who do not marry or who, who are not married or do not procreate, that's the condition, that's the status in heaven, and that's the status of angels. Now, a sidelight to that then is if angels do not marry nor do they procreate, their number remains constant. That is to say that the number of angels that were created by God in this invisible world in creation is the same number now in this time. They, that number re remains constant. Number four, the knowledge of angels is superior to man. Now angels are not omniscient, they don't know everything, but they have a supreme knowledge, they have a greater knowledge than us. When, er, when David was urged to bring Absalom's body back to Jerusalem, Joab went to a woman in Tekoa and said, why don't you talk to the king about this? And the woman said of David, my Lord has the wisdom of angels who knows everything in the world. And what she was saying was that angels have superior knowledge to us. Now, there are some things that angels know that you and I do not know. And there are some things that angels know about you that you do not know about yourself. For example, they know about the danger you may be in. Number five, angels have superior power to, to man. Their power is greater. Now, angels are not omnipotent. That means they don't have all power, but they have greater power than us. Paul refers to the mighty angels of heaven. Peter says that angels who are greater in might and power than man, and Psalm 103:20 says, David speaks about angels that excel in strength. They have greater power than us. And number six, Angels worship before the throne of God. Now, they seem to shuffle back and forth from heaven to earth and back again, and they are not omnipresent, they are not everywhere at the same time, but when they're in heaven, they worship before the throne. Now, I want to come to the last part of this before everybody gets tired and leaves me. If you haven't already, that is the ministry of angels. That's the crux of this kind of thing tonight, the main interest of what we're doing, the ministry of angels. Now let me give you what I believe is a, is a definition of the purpose of angels. Angels is an order of supernatural or heavenly beings whose business it is to act as messengers to men and agents who carry out his will. I know you didn't get that, so let me say it again. It's an order of supernatural or heavenly beings whose business it is to act as messengers to men and to carry out his will. The word means messenger, that is, 
Angels work behind the scenes in the drama of the world as agents of God to promote his program, to execute his judgments, and to convey his blessings. So that the primary purpose of angels, however, is to praise and worship God. Now I want you to take your Bible right quick and let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. There are orders of angels, and one order of angels is called the seraphim. I want you to see this picture of the seraphim. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another, that seems to be there many of these, of the, of the seraphim, who are above the throne of God, and they called out in, in, uh, in this antiphony, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And there are these seraphim around the throne praising God. So that in this order of angels, there are the seraphim. And the ministry of the seraphim, this order of angels, is to praise and name the character of God in heaven. And their ministry relates directly to his heavenly throne. Then there is an order of angels called the cherubim. The cherubim. Now the cherubim were these angels that were posted on the eastern gate of the Garden of Eden to protect the tree of life from Adam and Eve so they wouldn't go and eat of the tree of life. And if you'll look, and I meant to read it tonight, but time is fleeting, in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 1, there is a description of the cherubim, and they seem to be related to the glory of God, so that where it talks about the glory of God, that glory is accentuated and framed in the context of the cherubim. There is a third way in which angels have ministry, and that is they have ministry, they are ordered by God to minister to us in countless ways. Now watch this carefully, relates to us. Angels are divine protectors. Time after time after time, folks, there are ways in which angels protect us of which we are not even aware. And I have a feeling that when we get to heaven, we're going to be shocked at how they protected us and we weren't even conscious of it. They minister to us in times of hardship and danger. And so in the 27th chapter of the book of Acts, in the 23rd verse, the Apostle Paul is caught with his, as a prisoner. He's with this ship and they're, they're in this terrible storm. And Paul stands up to the crew and says, don't worry, don't sweat it. Last night an angel appeared to me and he said he's going to deliver me and the rest of us safely to our destination. There are divine protectors. 
And I want to read Matthew 18, verse 10. Now listen to what Matthew 18, 10 says. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. And what he's saying is this, that little children have what we refer to as guardian angels. And these guardian angels stand on a face-to-face relationship with God. Don't mess with the little kids, it says, because they have their guardian angels. Divine protectors. They guard our bodies, and they direct us on the right paths, and they open our eyes to sudden danger, and they help us in physical weaknesses, and they encourage us and minister minister to us in times of distress. They are a part of the divine surveillance of God. They are miraculous deliverers and interveners reviving and ministering to us. Now, we need to be aware tonight of the difference between the work of angels, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe that we're you know, in a dangerous place when we begin to talk about angels, and there is a difference between the work of angels and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say this, and I need you to get this down. The visible activity of angels, that is, the ability for us to communicate with angels, as they did in scriptural days, in biblical times, The visible activity of angels has come to an end because their, because their mediating work is done. Christ has finished the kingdom of the Spirit and God's Spirit speaks directly to the spirit of man so that man communicates with God through the Holy Spirit. This mediation This mediatorial work between angels and man that is obvious in Scripture is finished because Jesus established the spiritual kingdom and gave us His Holy Spirit and we communicate with God through the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is this all-powerful, omnipotent third person of the Trinity. He is our guardian, the guardian of our souls. He ministers to us spiritually while angels minister to us physically. He indwells us. He seals us with a guarantee of our inheritance. He intercedes on our behalf. He convicts us of sin. He teaches us and guides us and comforts us. I guess you could say in a nutshell that He ministers in us and angels minister to us, but there's a vast difference between the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit than the work of angels. Now, that leads us to two dangers to avoid, then we're through. At no time should we ever worship angels. The Bible makes it clear that we should should be very careful about worshiping any created thing, whatever it is. And so John says in the Revelation, And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. 
And he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. One of the problems that the New Testament church encountered was these cultic groups who formed to worship angels. And it is not much different. For there are some folks who have gone to seed on the spiritual world and they have seen angels and demons of every kind in every kind of situation. Now we must be careful about that, my opinion. Number two, don't pray to them. Don't pray to them. Ask God to give you a healthy balance with regard to angels. Now to sum it up, bottom line is this. If the New Testament believes in angels, I'm going to believe in angels. And if the New Testament says that God has created things invisible, then I'm going to believe that these invisible beings and personalities God created and they're present in this world and they have a ministry. And their ministry is a ministry of praise to God and a ministry of protection and care to us. And I'm going to ask God to help me to understand a healthy balance between the two. Let's pray together. Our Father, more important than anything else is the fact that you're present with us tonight. And I pray that your spirit will speak to our hearts and the ways you would desire to minister to us today and tonight. We pray that we'll give you that permission. For I pray in Christ's name and for his sake. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight who would be willing to make, a, make public the decision God has prompted your heart to make. While we stand to sing, we invite you to do it.